For those of you who don't know me, I'm Tony, I'm one of the elders here at Harbin's. Um, our pastor is on a two-month sabbatical, and he started last Sunday, so he's got his first week under his belt. Uh, he went to Montana, I think he's back in Arkansas now with some family, so we need to keep him in our prayers. One of my biggest fears of being up here is I read too fast or I talk too fast, and I'm through in about 12 minutes, okay? But on the other hand, one of the other fears that I have is if I get off on something else and I throw my opinions and get off track or whatever, I'm here two hours and 12 minutes, so I don't want to be that. So we're going to be closer to the 12 minutes on that uh, here. First Corinthians chapter 1. And while you're turning, uh, I kind of want to set the stage this morning to kind of paint the picture here, get the context of the, the, uh, where we're at here. I want to kind of go back in time a little bit, kind of pretend that we're in that first, uh, that church there in Corinth, about probably 1960 years or so, just about 2,000 years ago. So I kind of want to get the feel, see what it would be like to be in that first church to read this letter that Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthians. From Athens, Paul went to Corinth, which is about halfway between Sparta and Athens, Greece. It was in Corinth, if you remember the story, when Paul first crossed paths with a Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. Now, like Paul, this man was a tent maker. He and his wife had fled from Italy because of a command from Claudius that all Jews must leave Rome. And you can look at that in Acts 18, 1 through 3. Paul seemed to always go to the synagogue first in his ministry. After local Jewish officials expelled the church from the synagogue, it met in a large house next door that belonged to Titius Justus. Most scholars believe that that was Gaius, the Gentile convert. And we'll talk about Gaius a little bit later. What's interesting, in the, what's interesting to me was in this house, it was right next door to the synagogue. So we know that as Paul was preaching, uh, they probably could hear him. That's one of the reasons he got thrown out of the synagogue there. And as I said before, Paul ministered to in Corinth about 18 months in about AD 51, 52, uh, roughly there. Paul's writing this first letter to the church at Corinth about uh, three years of living in Ephesus. Uh, Paul wrote this letter with Christian conduct as its theme and in response to a letter concerning things as marriage, uh, the use of foods offered to idols. But the apostle was also uh, really troubled by reports from Corinth of divisions, uh, increasing arguments and disagreements, a case of incest even, and other issues that had not been judged by the church. So really the main focus of this letter is to correct the error and the false doctrine. The city of Corinth had its share of error and false teaching. It was a place of evil. There's a verb in the Greek language, if you've ever studied Greek, which I haven't really. But it's a word in the Greek language, Corinthianize. And sad to say that it means drunken debauchery, immorality. So when you heard the name of the city of Corinth, you associated it with evil. It was a vile city. The Corinthians were known a lot about their indulgence of money 
and wealth and luxury. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, you get a little idea of what they did. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Paul describes Corinth. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. And here, he really describes their life. Neither the sexually immoral, that's the word porneo, where we get our word pornography, pornographers, people who are involved in any sexual sin of any kind, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, sex outside of marriage, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, that was, that's what they lived in. This was their town. So this was the city that Paul wrote the letter to. So for lack of a better word, this church was messed up. While Paul defends his apostleship because the people at Corinth didn't accept, they didn't really accept Paul because he wasn't, if you remember, you know, the qualification of apostle, he wasn't with Christ from the beginning. So they kind of looked at him a little bit like, I don't know if he's for real or not here. So this involved the authority of the doctrine that uh, was revealed through him. Uh, Paul referred to himself later, if you recall reading in 1 Corinthians in, the, in this book, the least of the apostles. The letter is not a written work dealing with a specific subject, but an expression of his grief, care, or concern, and his aggravation because of the unspiritual and immoral condition of this church here. So various subjects, as I've already said, are addressed, but are, but are related to the general theme of Christian conduct. But in spite, in a positive note, in spite of the dark cloud created by the difficulties in this church, it is in this letter that Paul presents his example of Christian love. We all know chapter 13. As well as the most comprehensive treatment of the resurrection of the body to be found in the Word of God in chapter 15. So please stand as we do at Harbin's as our custom, as our tradition kind of at Harbin's that we stand on Sunday mornings to read the scripture. And I'm going to read the first 17 verses. First Corinthians will be our text this morning. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. 
For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with the words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we've already prayed this morning, Lord, I just, uh, just pray, Lord, that you just uh, help me to speak clearly and just help uh, everyone to understand as we um, take this journey back to uh, Corinth, Lord, to kind of put ourselves back in this early church, Lord, and just kind of break this down here this week, Lord, to uh, try to understand some things about uh, what Paul was teaching here in uh, 1 Corinthians, Lord, chapter 1. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that uh, everything that we said and done this morning would bring honor and glory to you, Lord, as we continue to speak this morning, Lord. I just pray that you'd be with everything that we do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I got this title from verse 26, which we'll get to next week, which means there's a part two. Okay? So you've got to come back. I want to talk about the word calling. When you hear the word calling, what comes to mind? Consider your calling, part one, here this morning. When you hear the word calling, what comes to mind? Are you called to do something? Have you ever really considered what your calling is? How many of you ever really put a lot of thought in your place in life? We have even told others that this is definitely your calling, whatever that might be. You've heard that before. Have you ever asked someone what their calling was? Have you ever evaluated the calling in your life for yourself? What have I accomplished concerning my calling? Have you ever looked back and wished you had a different calling? Where am I going from here, you might ask. Have you ever said to yourself, this is my calling. This is where I'm supposed to be. If I were to define the word calling... Basically, it it simply means a strong urge or an impulse to follow something or to be somebody, an occupation, a profession, maybe, a walk of life, a specialty, maybe. For example, you would say, this is her calling, this is his calling, you can fill in the blank. Now, I don't really have a kid's illustration, and I'm not going to fall walking any steps, but... uh, um, I don't really have a kid's illustration, but I kind of have a one for the adults a little bit. And I thought about if I was going to pick on anybody, I'd probably pick on Daphne because I just, just that's just the way it is today. It's going to be. She doesn't know this, and I'm not going to embarrass her. But if I were to ask Daphne what her calling is, what would Daphne say, you think? Daphne, what would your calling in life? Homeschool teacher? Right, right. Mother would be one, right? That's obvious, right? Okay. <laughs> if you ever need a prayer request to fill out the blue sheet and need a family to pray for, that's them. Okay. 
eight kids, the eighth kid, pray for Carrie. All right, Carrie needs it. All right. But uh, yeah, so Daphne's calling. As many of you here, teachers, um, mothers, your calling might be in the medical field. I don't know if we have any medical field. Mine was public safety. 25 years in public safety, retired four years ago. Uh, some people have the calling of, in a ministry. You might be thinking about that. Colt, talk to Colt and uh, know a little bit about firefighting. They will kind of feel like maybe at their young age, they might be wanting to go into the, that field. I think about, um, I don't think Todd, Todd Harrison's not here, but the people come to mind as Daphne did. I want to pick on Daphne a little bit. But Todd Harrison, when I look at Todd, Todd's got that call. You can just tell he's a business guy. He has that just, he looks at you, just you know he's in charge. Kind of, he just has that calling. And, of course, it wouldn't be complete if I didn't pick on Mark Pierce a little bit, right? We were in here last week getting the chairs, okay, the new chairs. hope everybody's noticed them by now. But we were in here. Mark's got his business, successful business. Um, and I was watching him, and he doesn't know I'm going to say this either. But I was watching him, and it's like he's on his phone. He's got something to eat from McDonald's. He's texting. He's calling the people. Our first chair we pulled off here had a rip in it. So that's why, oh, man, we've got 200 new chairs. The first one's got a big rip in the top. But Mark was telling these teenagers, you need to do this and that. And he's eating, and he's on the phone, he's on the text with a company and everything. And I'm watching him like, just tell me what to do. You know, I want him to tell me what to do. But you can tell, and I'm, I'm being serious. I'm joking a little bit. But I'm being serious that he has that calling, that business. Name. He just has that direction to give direction. Some people do, some people don't. So we want to talk about that. So in the next couple of weeks... This week and next week, I want to talk about the word calling, how we can distinguish the difference between the calling we're talking about now and what we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we know in the church, in the church world, you've certainly heard the gospel preached. Perhaps we know the general call to repent and believe. Hopefully every church did that. We know some don't. But we've heard that. We know if um, uh, we can read in Matthew 13, the, you all know the story about the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, 9 through 11. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. So we know that most people who have ears, unless you, know, you have a problem you can't hear, then they should be able to hear that general call. But not all hear that effectual call. Okay? So what we want to focus on today is much more than just hearing the gospel proclaimed. Now we know that the calling mentioned here in 1 Corinthians is about a specific calling, an effectual calling from God, the creator of the universe, which involves the regeneration and salvation of one who is dead in their sins, according to Ephesians 2.1. John 3.3, Jesus answered. Remember, he was talking to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice Jesus doesn't tell us how we can be born again, right? He doesn't tell us how. John 3.8, the wind, you translate that also spirit, blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit 
John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That word draw there simply means to drag. It's like the fishing nets back in the day, the, the fishermen. I was talking to, um, uh, I think it was Amy. We were talking a little bit at the funeral, uh, Pam's uh, father's funeral this week. I was talking to Amy, if you've seen her on Facebook, that they, you know Vera had showed interest, that Vera was crying, and she had some needs. She wanted to be saved, and, and uh, you know, she's nine years old, and, you know, and they really spent a lot of time talking with her. They just didn't want to rush in to just, you know, pray this prayer or whatever. But she really had that concern, you know, and she was talking, and, and they believed that God saved her this week you know, at the age of nine. But I remember, I can remember, about 39, over 39 years ago, so I'm showing my age now. 39 years ago, I can remember March of 1975. I can remember God just as, I, I can remember like it was yesterday. I remember that pull. I remember that tug on my heart. It really, it was that drawing. I can remember every time I, when I would go to church, the pastor, they would preach. They preach hell or they would preach repentance or forgiveness. I can remember, it's just like I was being pulled to the, I can remember it. I would go home and I remember I would pray. Not the, I wouldn't pray a prayer or read certain, you know, had to meet this expectation just to check this list off. But I remember I would pray and I remember I want to be, you know, at 10, it's like, I'm not really that much of a sinner, really. I don't really have never done anything wrong, right? You know, my mom would say different. But, but I mean, it's like I knew that I was a sinner. I knew it at 10. I could feel it. I still can remember that feeling, that drawing that I had there. And I believe that that was that factual call that what we're talking about this morning. So it's, it, it's very important, you know, we have to be careful with kids and everything, but I think it's very important that we, uh, that we um, listen to them and help them. Acts ten forty four. while Peter was still saying these things, he was preaching here at this, in, the, in the text here, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Not everyone heard the word. Acts sixteen fourteen. you know the story of Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. We want to learn more about the word calling uh, from our text this morning. And Lord willing, next week, we'll continue to try to understand more about this calling. It would take more than two weeks to do a full exposition of this chapter. I want to give you part one this morning. We're going to cover this whole chapter in two weeks. So this morning, I have three reasons, three points, why we should follow what Paul said considering our calling. So point one, we want to look at this. Paul is explaining his calling, okay? I'm going to read verse 1 through 3 again to kind of catch us up here and get back into the text here. First three verses. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to be the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice, Paul always started his letters by saying Paul. We don't really do that. You know, we email somebody. We always, you know, we don't use our own name. We say, you know, John, how are you doing? Or, you know, Peter with this or that. But Paul always started his letters, uh, which was a custom of the Greeks, I found out. Paul was Jewish, but it was a custom of the Greeks back in the day. 
And they always started by introducing themselves instead of ending a letter like we do, you know, sincerely rich. You know, we end it at the end there. We don't really say our name first. We know from the book of Acts that God saved Paul on the road to Damascus. I'm sure you remember the miracle that happened in Saul's life, which now was Paul. Paul was called after that regeneration, after that time that we won't read it today. But remember, after that happened, Paul was called, and it it took a series of events, but Paul was called by God to be an apostle by the will of God. Notice this. He didn't choose his calling. Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Acts 22.21. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Romans eleven thirteen. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. Galatians 1, 16. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Galatians 2, 8. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me, Paul, for mine to the Gentiles. And in Ephesians 3, 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I think everyone would agree after those verses that Paul was called by God to be an apostle. Paul doesn't introduce himself as apostle just to get them to clap for him, just to applaud for him, okay? There was no sign-up sheet to be an apostle. He didn't think it would be nice to, I'm going to be an apostle. I think it would be nice, be cool. But he was one who was effectually called by God in his salvation, and then God called him as an apostle. Paul's description of himself as one called to be an apostle reminded his original readers of his privilege and authority. He does it in order to identify himself as one that was called by God who had a message. So here Paul was explaining his calling. We see here in this verse 1 that he mentions a man named Sosthenes. He refers to him as a brother. Why did Paul do this? Why do you think he mentioned this guy's name in this letter? It's believed that he probably was a, Paul's secretary, which most men don't want to be called secretary, but he was probably a penman. We know that Paul actually wrote all these letters. He was inspired to write these letters, but we also know in his church history that um, some of the letters he dictated to people and they wrote it down for him. Sosthenes was in, was in agreement with Paul. He was Paul's co-worker. Acts eighteen seventeen. Sosthenes was a ruler of the synagogue. He was beaten in front of the tribunal court, if you read in that story. Gallio, not Galileo the astronomer, but Gallio was the Roman governor at the time. He refused to proceed with any harm against Paul as the Jews were instigating him. He was considered a helper of Paul. And as I said in Acts 18, you can read the story. It's a great story about conversion and Sosthenes having been in Corinth. He would have known the situation really well. So, when he adds Sosthenes to this... The people at Corinth were saying, you know, uh uh-oh, it's, um, hey, this guy's lived here. This guy's from this place. And it would seem that it just added some power to this introduction. The word called in verse 1 and verse 2 comes from the Greek word kleto, which means summoned and appointed. Okay? 
Now, some of you go to the mailbox, and you've gone to the mailbox, and you've got this little piece of paper. And it's a jury summons, okay? Now, some people hate the jury. Some people, you know, I've been retired four years. I wish they would call me. I've never been called. They won't pick me. They won't choose me, right? But you were appointed. You were selected. You were chosen. You were picked. You were called to be that juror. We're going to see this word throughout the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. In verse 2, in this first part of the letter, Paul begins by reassuring the church that he believes that they are true believers. This is a foundation that he lays before he starts to address the number of problems that we read earlier about that were occurring in this church. Paul refers to those called, and it's the same word in verse 1 and verse 2, as sanctified, which means set apart. They were called to be saints, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. They had the same Lord. He was referring to that. The last thing you would think here that Paul would call them would be holy, right? Because of all the things were going on in uh, this city. Now, a saint isn't a special person who is canonized by a church. Now, if you remember, I think it was like back in May, we had a couple popes that were just made saints in the Roman Catholic Church. Well, any believer, that's not true, that doesn't happen. Any believer that is trusted in Christ alone, through faith alone, is a saint. The Greek word for saint is hagios, which means holy one. John MacArthur said it like this, and I quote, The benefits of being a saint cover all the periods of a life. The past, the present, and the future. What it boils down to is your past is forgiven, your present is taken care of, and your future is guaranteed. You can't beat that, MacArthur says. That's the greatest kind of policy there is. It takes care of all the past sins, mistakes, gives you all you need to live in the present, and secures absolutely your future. That's what Christianity offers, In quote there. So these people were separated from the pagans at Corinth. We have to remember also that your position before God or your standing before God doesn't always match up with your practice or your behavior, right, before God. We don't always act like saints, do we? Not always. We sometimes doubt our calling here. Struggling with sin in this life, in this earth, will always be a part of your Christian life. And we're going to read later that there are many problems going on in this church here at Corinth. One commentary stated uh, about the saints in every place here. Just kind of going through these verses here. The saints in every place are probably those in churches in other areas, some of whom had come to the Savior through the witness of Christians other than Paul. I believe Paul evidently wanted his readers here to remember that they were part of a large body of believers. They were not the only church in town here. They needed to fit into the family of God in harmony rather than being a rebel congregation. If you notice another thing, I picked this up here a little bit. Um, We refer to it as a Corinthian church, which is fine. But Paul didn't refer to this as the Corinthian church. Remember the word Corinthianize had that negative meaning. Paul describes it in, in this, this passage here as the church of God at Corinth. It was God's church. We see in verse 3 that Paul uses the words grace and peace. I always thought it was interesting that Paul always wrote these words in his letters. You can go back through his, le- his, his letters. 
He wrote grace, then he wrote peace. Why is that? Why do you think he did that? Don't really know exactly, but grace is a word used for uh, the Greeks and the Gentiles. They seem to like that word, as we all do, grace, but they seem to address the, the Gentiles, the Greeks. And, of course, peace or shalom was the word that the Jews used here. Uh, many people want to debate, um, I don't really know why I put this in here, but many people want to debate that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I don't, I don't think he did. It's debatable. But if you notice one thing interesting, it's never, the grace and peace is not in Hebrews. He didn't continue through his letters there. So we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. It's just another, another day, another sermon, another topic of discussion here. So I think Paul in his writings was showing his audience that we need to focus on God no grace, no true peace. So, our first point this morning is Paul was explaining his calling. Point two. There we go. Paul is faithful concerning his calling. Let's look back at verse four. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Notice in verse 4 here, Paul was faithful by giving thanks to God for the salvation of these fellow believers. He usually, if you notice, usually he, referred to, he refers to the Lord Christ Jesus rather than Jesus Christ. And some people would wonder why that might be. It's really kind of looked at that this put an emphasis on his divine character as Messiah uh, rather than on his human nature. And it encouraged, it encouraged his readers to submit to him as their Lord. Colossians 1, 3 through 4. We always thank God for the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Paul was faithful in praying for the believers at Colossae. He didn't say here, if you notice here, now if you back up a little bit, he didn't say here, I'm thankful you chose Christ, prayed a prayer, or made a decision for Christ. We don't see that anywhere in the text here of, of the free will of man choosing to follow Christ or anyone making Jesus their Lord and Savior. We have to remember that he is the Lord. He is the Savior. No, we look at it and we see Paul here. I'm thankful to God. He's thanking God. It's God that does the saving and the calling. One of the verses, uh, Acts thirteen forty-eight is one of the verses uh, that um, in the last, probably about three years ago, uh, as far as the doctrines of grace and, and studying soteriology, study of salvation, different theological things, that kind of opened my eyes to, to a few things. But I think Acts thirteen forty eight was one of those verses that really kind of nailed it down for me. Acts thirteen forty eight says, And when the Gentiles heard this, all the preaching going on and the witnessing there. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It doesn't say as many were appointed believed and then they were appointed eternal life. Okay, the word's there. Now, the word appointed, you're thinking, well, this fits in really good with the sermon, right? As far as the words go. It's a different word. The appointed here. It would really go good if it was the called word, right? This is a different word. The Greek word here, and you're getting more Greek today than ever, 
But the Greek word is tasso. Now, now listen to the definition of this word. It means to assign, properly arrange, to place in a certain order, determine. And I think the King James, I didn't, I meant to look this up, but I think the King James even uses the word ordain. They were ordained. So God's unconditional, sovereign, electing grace is all over this first chapter. We're not even out of the fourth verse. Okay? It's all over the first chapter here. It's all over Paul's letters, the New Testament, and God's Word here. Look at verses 5, 5 and 6. That in every way you are enriched, which means basically be made rich, have abundance in Him, and all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Barnes notes on the Bible here, if you, uh, some of the commentaries, they kind of break the word, the verse down. <clears throat> but that in every way, in every respect, or in regard to all the favors conferred on any of his people, you have been distinguished by him in all those respects in which he blesses his own children. The next part of that verse, you were enriched by him. The meaning here, the expression is you abound in these things. They are conferred abundantly upon you. By the use of this word, the apostle intends doubtless to denote the fact that these blessings had been conferred on them abundantly. In all speech, with the power of the speaking of the various languages in 1 Corinthians 14, that this power was conferred on the church at Corinth. In all knowledge, in the knowledge of divine truth, they had understood the doctrines which they had heard and had intelligently embraced them. This was not true of all of them. But it was of the body of the church and the hearty commendation and thanksgiving of the apostles for these favors. In verse six, we drop down to verse six. John Gill's exposition of the Bible. He really write. I wish I could write like this. But in, he breaks this down in verse six. Even as the, the the verse, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you by the testimony of Christ, Gill says it's meant that the gospel of Christ, which bears a testimony to His deity. His incarnation, his obedience, his sufferings and death, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to heaven, his session at God's right hand, his intercession for the saints to redemption by his blood, justification by his righteousness, pardon and atonement of sin by his sacrifice, and complete salvation by his obedience and death. All in that one verse, he, got, he gets all these description here. So we continue in verse 7 through, through 9. I'm going to read those again. So that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, here's our word again, by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see Paul being faithful, reminding them that they are not lacking in spiritual gifts, verse 7, and of Christ's return. God, God has given them spiritual gifts. He's given us spiritual gifts. One thing we've got to remember is the presence of these spiritual gifts is not a sign of being spiritual. God can give someone a gift. They still can be filled with pride, or they can just not use the gift. Many people, they don't use their gifts. Being spiritual is not measured by being gifted, but rather by the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Paul mentions the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ in the word 
apocalypsis is the great is the word is the Greek word for the revealing there, and it means unveiling the revelation, the second coming of Christ. The word here emphasizes the visibility and the imminent at any moment of the Lord's return. Paul was faithful, reminding them of their future. Paul actually thought, if you look in First Thessalonians, he actually thought that he would be around to see Christ return. He even mentions it, First Thessalonians four seventeen. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Paul was living in the last days as I believe we are today. Verse 8, Paul again reminds them that the Christians will stand guiltless or blameless. The word means without accusation. You're not going to be accused before Christ on that day. It means without guilt. It means unchargeable, that no one can even lay a charge against you. It's the word that's used in Romans 8.33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And in verse 9, this first part here, as Paul is about to make a change here, in the, you can see here in his writing. But in verse 9, God had begun the work of calling them into the fellowship of his son. And he would be faithful to complete that work. So in these first nine verses, nine times Christ is referenced to concerning the fact that salvation is about Christ. Paul is faithful, reminding them that God is faithful, steadfast, unwavering. Per- he has an unwavering purpose, and he's unchangeable. By whom I have been called into this fellowship, the communion of believers here. That word communion means all things common. So that I have all things common, having been grafted into our Lord Jesus Christ, into the fellowship, having all things common with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we often look, look sometimes, um, you know, we have anxiety, we have despair, discouragement. But if we look to Him, we have confidence in His sovereignty. So, let's review their points here. Paul's ex- point number one, Paul is explaining his calling. Second, Paul is faithful Concerning his calling. And our last point this morning is there are problems relating to Paul's calling. In the first nine verses, Paul was encouraging, he was very positive. If you reread those nine verses, he's very positive. He's encouraging. I believe he had an encouraging tone toward the people at Corinth, even though the city that they were living in um, at that time. But notice the shift here. Notice the transition in verse 10 through 17 as we wrap this up here this week in these next few verses. I want to read them again. Verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say, that you were baptized in my name. 
I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. Now, we know, the third point, there are problems relating to God. Now, we know there's no problems concerning God with the calling. The problem is that we see here is that human wisdom divides the body, okay? Ministry can be messy. Humans have a way of interfering with things, don't we? We have a way of doing that. Man tends to get in the way. I believe Paul switches gears here after these first nine verses. He switches gears here and he pleads with the church about their actions. The word appeal here means to literally mean to beg. Paul is begging the church body to agree, to be in harmony with each other or say the same thing. Now, I don't believe you all have to believe exactly on some of the non-essential things exactly. Everybody's a cookie-cutter person. We all dress alike. We comb our hair the same or whatever. Even on church things, business. I don't think he was meaning that be in harmony, say the same thing as in like that. But I think it's more of just to kind of be on the same page. You know, we kind of respect each other, talk things out, you know, agree to disagree, whatever, on that. But Paul believed, he pleaded with them that there would be no divisions. That word divisions, now we all know what the word divide means, but that word really means be, to be ripped apart. Paul was really laying on here as far as in this letter. He didn't want anything to be ripped apart. He wanted them to be united together or mended back together. A theologian, S. Lewis Johnson, said this. This is an interesting word, unite or mend together. Because this is a word that used with reference to surgeons setting bones. Okay? Orthopedic surgeon sets the bones, right? This word means to mend together or unite. So, he, Johnson continues, he says, So, you could say that the Apostle Paul, like an experienced spiritual surgeon, is touching the wound very gently. He is very careful not to do something that a good surgeon would do and do harm while he's seeking to do the kind of work that will bring ultimate healing. He wants them to be perfectly joined together. You can also find this word in Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore. That's the same word here in the uh, previous verse, to unite or mend together. You should restore him a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. To restore, that is, to set. Set the bones in such a way that healing will take place. This is where the, I believe, this is where the importance of church membership really enters the picture. This is where church discipline must be practiced. Verse 11, he introduces us to another person whose name is Chloe. We don't know a lot about Chloe. Uh, we don't really know she might have been a member of the church. Uh, don't really know if she was a Christian. Um, her people were probably servants or family. Uh, she might have been a head of a house, maybe such a widow, maybe. We don't really know. Her people had reported to Paul that the brothers were fighting. Now, I don't believe they really could have been, but I don't think they really were fist fighting, you know, out in the foyer at Harbin's. They're not fist fighting, okay? 
But the word here used, quarreling, in verse 11, had a negative meaning. Uh, it was kind of alluding to meaningless fights or debates or rivalries with a wrong focus and motive. So how do you think Paul felt when Chloe, whoever she was, maybe she could have been a good standing man, we don't really know. But how do you think Paul felt when he received the news that this was going on in the church? We look in verse 12 and 13 that we just read just a few minutes ago. The church was dividing over things like following different men. Okay? Does this sound like the church today? Not so much. We can we definitely use our church. We want to, you know, kind of measure on your church. But the local church. Does that sound like the church today? Do we follow pastors, elders, deacons, small group leaders? Teachers, Bible study teachers, do we follow them? Now, we certainly have preferences and opinions and we have friendships and things like that. I'm not really talking about that. I mean, we should submit and respect or be in subject to these leaders, but we know that Christ is the chief shepherd. Notice in these verses here that I just read, Paul mentions Christ last. When he mentions these people, these, these men, probably elders in the church, he lists these three other leaders ahead of the Lord here. When he leans toward, when we lean toward others, Christ tends to be pushed back. I really believe Paul wrote this for this specific reason. Now, one phrase that we've all heard describing a church sometime is we identify the church with who the pastor is. We can't help it. It's just we've all done it. And that's fine. But as I got to looking at this, kind of thinking about this and uh, talking with Steve a good bit about his sabbatical and things, and I know his heart on this. But, for example, I'll give you an example. And I've done this, so I'll confess first. If you're ever giving directions to somebody and you're trying to get them in the right location and it's the big church on the corner, maybe it's the middle of the intersection, whatever, and you try to identify and they say, I don't really know where that road is. Well, it's that church, especially if it's in the church world, and people follow, you know, they, I don't want to use follow pastors. I just said we're not supposed to do that. But, um, you know, especially if you're, you, you know a lot about maybe the local or even if you're out of town. And you say, turn right at that big church. It's so-and-so's church. We've all done it. We've all done that. We call the man's name. I don't think anyone intends any harm when they say that. But I don't really think they mean that. But we've got to be careful not to forget that this church doesn't belong to man. That church you're giving directions to doesn't belong to man. This is one reason why Steve is on a sabbatical. We've talked about it. He even mentioned it last week. He doesn't want us to rely on him, to rely on a man. Okay? I really know his heart on this. And it's hard to, you know, you can stand up and say it, whatever. And you know, people think, okay, yeah, we won't, you know, whatever. But I really believe that's his heart. And that's one reason that a sabbatical was needed. There's other reasons, too. But we have to be on guard from a favoritism for a certain preacher because of his influence. And I'm not talking about ours. This is anybody, a certain influence or certain gifts a pastor might have. The church can function without a pastor being there every Sunday. And here's a, just a real quick illustration, and I'm almost through. And I mentioned this to Steve. What if something happened to Steve? You know, I've mentioned this before. Very fortunate, very blessed that uh, in his time, I don't think he'd ever had an emergency to where 
He had to call somebody and say, hey, um, I need you to come and preach today because I'm in the hospital with a kidney stone. Now, I've had 15 kidney stones since 2002. They don't discriminate, I promise. They don't discriminate. But seriously, I mean, just in my time, two years and four, three or four months, uh, it's only like, I think Steve's only missed like five Sundays, maybe. Okay? So very blessed with health and just people filling in and everything. But what if something happened to him? I even seen, I even talked to him a little bit about it. Like, you know, I really um, probably need to have something ready just in case you give me that call, right? Because if I call Mark, he's probably not going to come up here. I could probably guarantee you that. Peter's probably not going to answer either if I call him, you know, because we've talked about it. Like, I mean, that's tough. If you're not used to this. Now, some people, you know, they got five or ten waiting. They go and pull from the hopper, basically. But it would be a tough thing for someone to call, you know, call me on a Sunday morning and say, hey, uh, I'm not going to be there. Uh, you've got 120 minutes. Go. You know, you could, uh, it'd be very hard for me to do that. So that's one of the, what it, so we think about that. So we have to be careful. Uh, and I believe this might have been going on a little bit in this church. Uh, not sure exactly. So, so the question I asked is, do we look like the believers in Corinth today? We this is small local church or even the bigger local church, the body of Christ. R.C. Sproul said this, The greatest weakness in the church today is that the servants, now listen to this, the greatest weakness is that the servants of God keep looking over their shoulder for the approval of men. We worry about men entirely too much today in a local church. We see here in these verses that people had their favorite preachers, their elders, their deacons, whatever, They didn't belong to these preachers. They belonged to Christ. Paul addresses these concerns in verse 14 14 through 17. Paul was stating the fact that he only baptized a few people here. He didn't want to be recognized. I get from this. He didn't want to be recognized for baptizing people. I consider baptism very important part of a believer's life. We got to witness Chris. I believe it was back in May. Chris went in the waters of baptism very special time but in verse 17 Paul writes that Christ did not send or call him to go baptize but to preach and proclaim the gospel I firmly believe here and I don't really think when they were talking about I was baptized I follow Apollos or I was I don't really think this was a doctrinal issue on baptism it could have been a little bit they could have been discussing a little bit but I believe firmly here that this is a concrete statement here some people disagree, other, other churches, other denominations. But I believe that baptism doesn't save you. This is a concrete statement here. It's not required in order to go to heaven. That would be a work. I believe it would be a work of a righteousness or it would be some sort of a work that you would have to do. You would have to add to something there. Paul even says this. He says the cross would or could become emptied of its power if, we use, if, someone, if he used fancy words. He used, I think ESV says eloquent, fancy words, which would be in this day and time, in 51 and 52 A.D., the Greek philosophers, they used their philosophy. We're going to talk about that next week, about they thought they were smarter than everybody, their human wisdom. Baptism, I believe, could also cloud the cross as well, if that's what you're trusting in for salvation. We know that baptism is a picture. It's a symbol of what Christ has done for you, for me. It shows the death burial and resurrection it shows the gospel 
So we have three points this morning. Paul explained his calling. Paul is faithful concerning his calling. And there were problems relating to Paul's calling here. So as we close this morning, what does this mean for us today? How would we react, as I stated before, as we kind of went back in time a little bit in our minds, how would we react if this letter was written to Harbin's? Could some of this, maybe on a lower level or a higher level, could some of this apply to us today? Think about it. We see that the Apostle Paul here was explaining to the recipients of this letter who he was in Christ. He was one of the sent ones appointed or summoned by God, our Father. What he means is that he was brought into relationship with the Lord that God divinely initiated. This was a divine calling. But we have to understand that you and I were saved the same way. God is the actor in your salvation, not the reactor. When God speaks, he speaks with authority. And his initiatives are always carried out. They're always successful. So Paul speaks of himself as an apostle by being called. Uh, That's designed, of course, to remind the Corinthians that they had questions about Paul. We already said that. And and he wanted wanted them to know that he was a divinely chosen apostle of God. You could say he was an apostle by calling or a called apostle. He reminded us that only God can call that unregenerate person like he did with Paul on the road to Damascus. He recognized that believers at Corinth were indeed saints or holy ones. If you're saved this morning, you have been set apart. He used the word saint, Paul used the word saint, around 60 times in the New Testament. They were set apart for good works. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, for all as we do for you, so he may establish your hearts, blameless in holiness, before our God and our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul always thanked God for the salvation of the believers at Corinth. He was always faithful by praying for them. We need to be faithful as he was in praying for others. We have many needs here in the church, even like I said this week. It was God's grace here that was displayed. Three things you got to remember about grace. Grace cannot coexist with guilt, human obligation, or human merit. If it did, it wouldn't be grace. Paul was faithful to remind them that Christ's return was imminent. Remember Steve's message a couple weeks ago about, about are we ready for Christ's return? He begged the Christians at Corinth to be in agreement. He wanted them to live in peace and unity. So I kind of end it with this here. I know I've said that two or three times, but I am, I promise. Do you have anything against a brother or sister in Christ this morning? We'll even break it down to in this building. Are you fighting in church, quarreling? Paul didn't want the fights to continue. He was not pleased at this church for following men like Apollos, Crispus, Gaius, or even himself. He put his name in there. He wanted all the glory to go to Christ. Are we currently causing any problems in church? Who are we following? 
Are we following Christ? Finally, he stated that he was sent to preach the gospel, not with fancy words, but in the power of the cross. Next week, we're going to continue in this chapter. We're going to add two more reasons, two more points, why we should be like Paul and consider our calling. And we will start with the cross in verse 18. If you're here today and you say, you know, you lost me when you said good morning. I really didn't understand anything you said. I didn't get it. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I beg you this morning to start with the cross. I ask you to turn to that cross. Repent of your sins and believe and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. Church membership, very important, but it won't do it. Baptism, very important, but it will not save you. Only the one who died for sinners 2,000 years ago can save you. To the unbeliever, this doesn't make sense. As I just said, it doesn't make sense to you. Just, just don't really get it. Not ready for this right now. But to the believer, be thankful that you are set apart. Because we know that unbelievers, uh, any unbeliever here could be hearing that call as I talked about 39 years ago. Is Christ calling you for salvation today? But we have to remember, as a believer, we are set apart. We are that saint. You have heard the effectual call from God. And I challenge you this morning to consider your calling. Let's pray. Father, I just um, thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you for, Lord, the just to calm nerves and to kind of uh, get into the swing of things, if you will, as far as uh, standing up here. It's a different place. Um, I just really pray, Lord, that Lord, something I said this morning, I pray that I didn't say anything in error. I pray, Lord, that um, someone, Lord, would uh, take these verses home and read them. Ponder on those. Just think about it. Consider their calling. If they're not Christians, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would just open eyes, open ears, open hearts this morning, Lord, that you would save souls. Lord, if it any anyone here that's lost doesn't know you, Lord, I just thank you for each person. I really do. I really, th- and I know it's a busy weekend, and I un- completely understand, Lord, that uh, we've got a lot of people away. Some are sick. Some are um, uh, tra- a lot of travelers, Lord, this this weekend. But Lord, I just thank you for each person, whether they're a member at Harbin's, whether it's their first time or second or third. I thank you for each person that's come out, Lord, this morning, Lord, to spend some time worshiping you, Lord, this morning. So, Lord, as we close this time, Lord, I just thank you for all that you're going to do in the remainder of the service as we prepare to give, as we sing one more song, and as we dismiss with announcements. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.